Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Since the Central Asian countries became independent in late 1991, Kyrgyzstan has been credited as being the most democratic of the five countries in the region. That is no longer so clear. There are draft laws currently before Kyrgyzstan's parliament that would greatly restrict the work of non-governmental organizations that receive foreign funding and place tight control over what media in the country can report on. To explain what these proposed laws will change in the once most democratic country in Central Asia, I am joined by Svetlana Zardanova, a human rights and corruption researcher at Freedom for Eurasia and a gender associate for the Central Asia Institute for Strategic Studies. Svetlana has previously also worked at the OSC Academy in Bishkek and Sianat Sultanalieva, a Central Asian researcher for Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan at Human Rights Watch. And I also want to mention that Sianat is the author of the recently published book, Nomadity of Being, Narratives of Kyrgyzstani Women's Rights Activists. Thank you both for joining me today. I guess, Sianat, I'll start with you. And let's start with the the law on non-governmental organizations, the NGO laws. I mean, what what is in this proposed draft law uh, that, that so many people are, are worried about? Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me here on the podcast. Always a pleasure. But the topic is uh, unfortunately not such a pleasurable one. So basically, this draft law—it's—it's um, it's, going to be—it's a draft law that's introducing a bunch of different amendments and modifications into already existing um, laws, into already le- existing legislation, basically. Um, and the idea—and um, it's already known as the foreign agents or the foreign representatives uh, uh, law in Kyrgyzstan—and. Uh, I mean, this this is sort of a repeat of history because we've had it back in 2013. Uh, the same draft law uh, was introduced, and the only difference from the the one from 2013 is that back then it was called the foreign agents, or like the concept that they used in the um, uh, in the in the draft law was foreign agents, whereas now it's the draft law on foreign representatives, basically you know tomato tomato uh, <laughs> type of a situation. And uh, what this draft law is going to be uh, doing, it's, it's in- in- introducing a wide range of modifications, as I mentioned. Most of them are basically an introduction of these uh, new burdensome requirements for all NGOs, so non-governmental and non-commercial organizations. Uh, and it also allows um, state authorities to intervene or interfere in their internal affairs, including by uh, allowing certain um, authorized agencies. Um, from what I'm seeing currently, it's uh, Minister of Justice. So Minister of Justice can just send uh, their staff members who can go in and sit on any of the internal uh, activities, internal or external, or external activities of the NGOs and listen in, take notes, whatever. So if it's a strategic planning session, if it's an internal training or whatever, it's a, if it's a staff meeting or any kind of an activity that NGOs are doing in Kyrgyzstan or you know usually do, right? All of these are liable to um, being listened by the authorities, basically. Uh, then the other thing, basically, where the the draft law, the, the moniker comes from, is that um, it's going to be forcing NGOs that receive funding from foreign sources uh, to register, to go through a register of foreign representatives. So there will have to be registered there. And um, this section also includes um, like a whole range of uh, norms that restrict, that can restrict their activities. Again, establishing burdensome requirements. Um, they have to continue like as if though there isn't enough already different types of reports that uh, NGOs have to submit. Though they have to submit further uh, types of reporting 
uh, two different kinds of um, state um, agencies and uh, bodies. Um, and uh, one other thing, so two two more things uh, that are um, this draft law is proposing is that branches and representatives office, offices of international non-governmental organizations such as ours, for example, the Human Rights Watch, will have to be registered as well, re-registered. There's uh, new f- different kinds of requirements. Uh, again, the Minister of Justice will have the right to interfere in the internal affairs uh, of the INGOs um, and will be able to, you know, to check whether their activities uh, fit the uh, whatever that's stated in the mission or the vision of the organization, whatever the charter, um, these kind of documents. And the last thing is that this draft law establishes criminal liability for NGOs and INGO representatives in the criminal code um, of the Kyrgyz Republic for uh, for leading or participating, so there's like different um, sections, but for leading an organization that is violating or doing harm, I think, to the health of people. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not quoting it directly, but it's uh, it's violating the health or the norms or persuading. I think there was a a, a point where they were saying it's yeah some kind of a persuasion. Uh, for the citizens of Kyrgyz Republic not to follow rules or their obligations, something like that. So um, any kind of campaigning, I guess, um, any kind of calls for uh, protesting uh, against certain rules or decisions may be construed as uh, going against the constitutional order. And then whoever organized, organized these protests or demonstrations might be charged with or might, you know, yeah, might have uh, criminal liability for organizing this. Uh, event. So, yeah, that's, um, sorry, it might have been very <laughs> long, but uh, yeah, it's a very serious um, draft law that's currently tabled okay, in the Parliament. Uh, Svetlana, it, it, you know, following up on CNN's comments here, it, the law seems to be very vague on some of these points. I mean, it, it does, it says that you're not supposed to engage in like criticism of the government or actually call for any particular policy, I think. Uh, that the government can pursue. Um, what what is this? It's very, but it's very loose language. It's not. It's not solid. You can't really define this. I mean, who's who's ultimately responsible for deciding what's criticism or what what's an unacceptable call to the government? A lot of people could call on the government to increase spending on health care, but it, could that be interpreted? Something like that could be interpreted as interfering in government policies. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce, for the invitation. Uh, always a pleasure. And as Sinat already mentioned, it would be nice to gather over some good news or developments for a change. Uh, you're right. Uh, the law is um, quite vaguely formulated. And however, one doesn't need to have skills of a medium or fortune teller uh, to understand what's coming really with the law, because uh, we have already seen this in Russia, um, the, uh, the country that promotes this legislation. If you remember uh, in April when meeting in Moscow uh, with uh, Jogur Kukinesh speaker, uh, Vyacheslav Volodin suggested to share some experience, the Russian experience of legislative regulation to co- uh, counter foreign interference as Russia adopted some effective laws in the sphere. So a similar law in Russia was adopted in 2012. It allowed the Ministry of Justice to recognize NGOs as foreign agents if they would receive funding from abroad and, uh, in opinion of the state, engage in political activities. And since the criteria, as you mentioned, was vaguely formulated, the law allowed uh, the authorities to prosecute organizations working in a variety of fields from education, culture, healthcare, and uh, more specifically human rights uh, protection. 
So as a result, a number of NGOs have been closed and their activities have been uh, significantly restricted. And unfortunately, the Russian influence on domestic politics uh, have been growing over the years, specifically when it comes to targeting free media and civil society. Russia provides kind of a blueprint that Central Asian governments can apply to their contexts without even sometimes changing wording. So uh, as Sainat mentioned, the, um, the similar law uh, was pushed already twice in 2014 and last year when it was sent uh, for review. So this such over-regulating and complicating the activity of specifically those NGOs that receive funding from abroad which is actually majority of uh, Kyrgyzstan's NGOs and majority of those NGOs that work on and deal with gender-based violence, uh, providing like legal assistance or shelter. Uh, so it it means um, for the NGO sector and for such NGOs specifically that less women, less beneficiaries will receive help and because uh, the government itself doesn't have it uh, among its priorities. And if we take a look at what spheres are covered by NGOs, these are usually the spheres where the government fails to act uh, due to lack of interest, resources or skills. Also, if we take, uh, if you look at the um, at the current bill uh, from the perspective of regime security, it's, it might be an attempt to create uh, and or support state-sponsored uh, and state-dependent NGOs, similar to what we have uh, in Uzbekistan, for instance, Gongos. Uh, these are much easier to control and naturally are more responsive to state needs and requests, uh, but not necessarily responsive to the needs of uh, the population. This is an unfortunate development, uh, truly, uh, but one can say this is expected development, not welcomed, but expected. Uh, already in uh, October 2021, Sadr Japarov promised legal measures and repercussions against those NGOs that, in his words, uh, would undermine statehood and political security while talking about partnership and the need for NGO sector and the government to work together to cooperate uh, for further development of the country. So the government here sends uh, a very clear signal that only those loyal NGOs are needed by the state. And uh, the state basically wants to silence its critics in politics and civil society. And I think we might uh, talk uh, about this a bit further but uh, what I'm more worried about is that uh, investigative media organizations are specifically targeted by uh, not this exact law, but the law on, on media. Uh, and actually, you can expand on that if you want to a little bit. I mean, I'm curious. Uh, there, there was When they were talking about this in Parliament last week, they said there was, what, 18,000, more than 18,000 NGOs registered in Kyrgyzstan. Surely not all of those are going to be affected. You mentioned, uh, you know, some that provide um, shelters uh, for victims of gender violence. One would hope that that wouldn't be one that affected. But but who, you know, who are they looking for? You, you mentioned independent medias. Who else might fall under this? might fall afoul of this law if it's, if it's passed. Yeah, let's hope uh, these organizations are not targeted. But uh, if we look at what uh, the government officials would say recently in uh, response to gender-based violence cases, they would uh, really want to silence media outlets and activists and, and, and civil society sector uh, 
for instance, uh, Baisalov would say that we uh, we don't need to cover, I mean, we need to cover the stories, but we don't need to be so explicit, uh, so loud about this, uh, so it wouldn't uh, affect our tourist sector and stuff like that. So anything uh, which is critical of the state can fall victim of, of this law. So, um, as I said, investigative media organizations have been specifically targeted, like uh, those media outlets that have been exposing the cases of state corruption and uh, been targeted. For instance, journalists like Bolotimirov um, was persecuted and pushed out of the country. And with uh, these laws in place, the state has more power to make lives of NGOs, individual uh, activists and independent media difficult. And things can get ugly pretty quickly, I think. Like media uh, freedoms and political pluralism already suffered major major damage since Japarov's accession to power. A few examples of this would be the very recent case of ousting Atir Abdurrahmatova from her post for human uh, rights ombudsman just for criticizing the work of the parliament and work of the state, pointing out to very uh, vivid, difficult cases. Um, she was very vocal about uh, the Kim, uh, Kimpirabad activists, the, the, the detention and persecution of Kimpirabad activists, uh, and also of the case of Bolotimirov. So um, uh, this, uh, both of these laws would just uh, give the state so much uh, more power to deal with uh, critics of the state. Okay, thank you. Uh, CNN, you'd mentioned that this law might affect actually your office, the Human Rights Watch there. Uh, can you talk about some of the other the other organizations that might be affected that are dealing with, uh, right, you know, upholding human protecting human rights um and i'm also curious too how far this goes you know there are actually foreign universities in one in bishkek the american university of central asia which of course as it says is is funded partially by the united states uh you also have the agahans uh central asia university in narin i mean does it go that high who, who all who else is affected by this um that's an interesting question um regarding the uh, educational institutions i wouldn't really stretch it that far although Honestly, Kyrgyzstan is turning, becoming a country where all kinds of uh, miracles, in quotation marks, uh, can happen, right? Um, so I think when we're talking about this, like what other kinds of organizations um, or act- kinds of activities might fall victim to this uh, law, draft law currently, the draft, I think it's important to look at the definition of political activity that's uh, provided in this draft law. And it's, uh, as you mentioned already, it's, it's extremely vague, right? So basically, I, I have it in before me, I can just read it out. So uh, political activity, okay. So a non-commercial organization can be anyone, right? It doesn't have to be NGOs, because in, in our minds, we, you know, well, not in our minds, but like in the public's eye, it's um, the NGOs are a certain specific type of an entity, right? But it means, because it's a non-commercial organization, Organization. It could be charity organizations, it could be humanitarian organizations, it could be educational organizations, as long as they're, as they're not um, perceiving or receiving any kind of um, commercial kind of remuneration or whatever, right? So a non-commercial organization is recognized as participating in political activities carried out on the territory of the Kyrgyz Republic if, regardless of the goals and objectives specified in its constituent documents, it participates, including through financing. So anybody who might be financing these kind of activities, like smaller grants or whatever, in the organization, and conduct of political uh, actions to influence the adoption of decisions by state bodies aimed at changing the state policy pursued by them. 
as well as in shaping public opinion for these purposes. So first of all, it's any organization that might be um, uh, looking at um, doing advocacy with the government, right, with the state uh, bodies in general. It could be anybody who's working, you know, ranging, uh, it's a whole range of issues, human rights issues or civil rights issues, uh, that uh, different NGOs and uh, non-commercial organizations are working on in Kyrgyzstan. So, I don't know, it could be somebody, um, it could be an organization that's working on uh, the rights of uh, women with disabilities, right? And they're trying to advocate um, or lobby, work with the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, Ministry of Labor uh, and Social Protection to make sure that, you know, the draft law, the, the new law, for example, on the rights of people with disabilities reflects their the guarantees to their rights and you know other things like that it's more compatible with the country's international human rights obligations right? is this this is going to be actually considered political uh, activity according to this definition because it's so vague but of course we all understand and i really like how Svetlana mentioned that we don't have to be mediums or you know like fortune tellers whatever what is the actual you know to understand what is the actual goal behind this like it's it's extremely vague but I don't think they will be going after organizations that might be engaging in certain kind of advocacy, right, or in certain kind of public opinion shaping, as they mentioned in this um, definition, uh, for things that are not uh, within the sphere of interest of the government or like or the you know the ruling regime, basically you could say, and that's anything that's outside that anything that's not political, basically. So it's social issues, social justice issues, economic justice issues. These things have just historically and traditionally, unfortunately, have been just pushed out of the general discourse in Kyrgyzstan and I guess in Central Asia in general, or maybe all around the world. So anything that's really important is political. So freedoms, fundamental freedoms, rights, and that kind of stuff, right? Or anybody who is collect gathering, who is able to mobilize different groups of people to make their voices heard. Uh, so this kind of activity will be considered um, political activities. And of course, I'm, I understand that what I'm, I'm kind of making it out to be as uh, as if though it's only organizations that are, you know, engaging in direct action, obviously not. So there is also shaping public opinion. So anybody who's doing research, for example, I would say think tanks who are not getting any uh, commercial income, right, from their research, but are funded by, again, foreign entities, foreign foundations, um, uh, small grants programs of diplomatic missions or whatever. Anybody who's doing research, let's say, on rights um, or on corruption or anything like that, that would also be considered shaping public opinion, right? Because you're propaganda, you're, you're publishing, first of all, you're doing this research. You're, you know, uh, how, how, what's the word? You're like, you're, you're being nosy where you're not supposed to be. <laughs> you're looking at what uh, are the things that are happening in all these dark uh, corners of the state. And then you're also reporting on it, right? You're making a, you're publishing a press release. You're distributing these reports. That's basically shaping public opinion for these purposes. Yeah, so it's not just, um, organizations like ours whereas we are sort of like a watchdog right we are we are even called human rights watch we're watching we're monitoring we try to support the uh, local civil society without you know stepping in so much and you doing action ourselves because you know our position is more as observers and to try and engage with the uh, civil society but also with the state and with the diplomatic missions with the international community and partners of the uh, of the countries uh, that we work with um, but still our, even our reports, our research could be considered like if, if there is at some point we decide to do, to, to research a sensitive topic, a topic that's sensitive to specific people in the government, 
that could definitely make us quite um, vulnerable to this uh, law, I would say. And the same goes for other organizations within the same, you know, same vein um, of activities um, and registration status and, and stuff like that. Okay, thanks. Uh, Svetlana, uh, it was mentioned that the, they tried to pass this law before last year and didn't, it didn't, um, didn't work. A lot of criticism. But this time is a little different, right? It seems like there's, a, there's more chance that it'll get passed this time. Can you explain why that's true? Exactly. It's it's actually uh, a bit difficult to explain why that is true, but uh, it might be the reason. Uh, the reason might lie in 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 the new administration, and that the space for civil society and independent media has been shrinking over the years. Like you mentioned, uh, just in the beginning, that in the early nineties, uh, Kyrgyzstan has been viewed as. Uh, one of the most democratic states among uh, Central Asian uh, neighbors. But, for instance, uh, Freedom House reported a decline in score uh, from 17 in just 2019 to 11 in 2023. And uh, the country is now considered a consolidated authoritarian regime. It's It's been the case for seven years now. Uh, before, like previously in 2016, it was considered a semi-consolidated authoritarian regime. So this uh, particular administration has been uh, very explicit from the very beginning that uh, it will take measures against the critics, against the NGOs and activists that are not in line with the state policies, the state line. Also, you said the situation is different. The law is uh, basically the same. I mean, it was suggested already in 2012 and 2022, and uh, it was withdrawn for revision uh, because of the outcry of the civil society. And and they uh, the, the state even agreed uh, to have a working group with representatives of civil society. However, they didn't get a look, like didn't have the clear say uh, when it comes to the law, and many say that about 90% of the suggestions were left without any attention from the state. So the uh, the bill is uh, virtually identical to the previous one. So um, it just has more supporters now within the parliament, within the um, state administration. So it has like all the ch- uh, chances uh, to get passed. I mean, and the situation has been... Uh, evolving in quite uh, this wrong direction in 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 the last several years, and I think like COVID nineteen uh, also played in hand for the government to uh, to take uh, grip uh, of the power and the um, Russian aggression in uh, U- Ukraine. It like uh, the situation is that it pushes uh, the Central Asian states closer uh, to the to the Russian orbit, and uh, Russia has. Uh, quite an influence over the further direction of how the, I mean, Central Asian uh, governments, um, they have a clear example of what uh, they need to stay to secure the regime uh, security and regime stability. Uh, they they have the example of Russia, they have the example of uh, Belarus and Turkey, for instance. So, if the current administration wants to get hold of of uh, of the situation of the status quo, they would push for um, such kind of laws, and and we see that they do. I mean, it's not the only initiative of uh, several par- uh, parliamentarians, but it's uh, it comes down uh, it comes uh, down from um, 
from the government administration, from the uh, from the president's administration. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, and a reminder, I'm with uh, Sianat Sultanaliyeva, Central Asia researcher for Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan at Human Rights Watch. And uh, again, I want to mention that Sianat is also the author of the recently published book, Nomadity of Being, Narratives of Kyrgyzstani Women's Rights Activists, and also with Svetlana Zarzanova, human rights and corruption researcher at Freedom for Eurasia and gender associate for the Central Asia Institute for Strategic Studies. And Svetlana has also previously worked for the OSC Academy in Bishkek. And we're talking about Kyrgyzstan's draft law on NGOs and draft law on, on media, which some see as government attempts to silence critics. We've been talking about NGOs, but let's talk a little bit about the media. Svetlana, I'll come back to you right away. What What is the, what's in the draft law on media that, that so many people are having problems with? I think uh, Senat has already mentioned that the law proposes that every media channel should register as uh, a media outlet. I mean, it doesn't matter if you sell something online or uh, you offer uh, some education services, you register as a media, uh, media channel. I mean, it's uh, over-regulation of, of the media sphere. So, it would mean that uh, any uh, organization, uh, business service uh, need, needs to go uh, through uh, registration with the state. It is true that uh, the law is outdated, but it shouldn't, um, the new one shouldn't overregulate the, the sphere. And also uh, independent journalists, runners of Instagram pages and, and channels like that would also fall under uh, the media law. I mean, whatever they are publishing would be scrutinized by the state. Uh, they would need to report to the state. This exactly is what is criticized by many of the observers uh, of the of the bill. Uh-huh. Uh, and CNR, I would like to get your comments on this too. I mean, we've already mentioned that, that this, this process is already underway and, and to some extent, even without this new draft being passed. Um, we've already seen a crackdown on the media. We talked about Bolat Temirov, uh, he's been, who's now forced to, was deported, exiled from the country. Um, and there's been problems for Cactus Media and also for Klub, uh, for Klub and uh, and for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberties, Kyrgyz service, Azatik. You know, it, it, are, is that a taste of what's coming? Yes, I um, unfortunately, I, I do feel that this is, Probably um, a trailer or a teaser of what's to come. Uh, should the pass, uh, uh, should the law be, uh, should the law pass uh, in, in Kyrgyzstan? And it looks like it, you know, just like the foreign agents or foreign representatives draft law, the, the draft law on mass media is, you know, the likelihood is uh, likelihood is very high. Another thing I think that's um, worrisome that's uh, in the uh, in the latest uh, version of the draft law on mass media. Um, and I think it's the fifth version. Um, and that's the draft law in which the uh, initiators um, or, you know, the government is sort of making it, pl- playing pretend in a way, uh, showing that they are as if though listening to uh, the uh, opinions of media experts and everything have created a working group, right? We, we remember it. Um, it's been since last year. So there have been several versions of this uh, draft line. And the last, uh, last one uh, that surfaced uh, back in mid-May in addition to all the uh, things that they have just not taken out of this uh, draft law, which are completely against the uh, international human rights commitments of the country in terms of freedom of media, freedom of expression, and others, freedom of the press, right? 
which is um, so some of the things that have been from the very beginning and they just have not uh, balked on it uh, is this idea of uh, responsibility for freedom uh, of speech or freedom of opinion. And I think they're so basically they're trying to uh, move forward, forward with this idea of that a person can abuse their freedom of speech. So this draft law uh, is seeking to limit the abuses of free speech, which is just absurd, um, obviously. Uh, but then um, in the latest one, what they're doing is they're also introdu- they've introduced a section uh, which was not there before in, in all the four iterations, previous iterations of this draft law. So they've included now a prohibition of propaganda of same-sex marriages, including other, you know, uh, including uh, pornography, I think, um, then other uh, information that might be uh, propagating uh, the cult of violence um, and cruelty towards other people. So uh, same-sex marriages are, you know, included there within the same line as uh, pornography, as violence, as cruelty towards people, um, or any kind of information uh, that might be uh, harming the health and morality of people. But again, as per usual, the uh, initiators don't really clarify what do they mean by the morality of the population and who is to decide what is the morality and where do we find, is there a list of things that are moral and what are the things that are immoral? Um, There is no clarification of this, of course. So so that's also um, quite concerning because um, as as you might be aware, there is another draft law that's, uh, that's kind of like receded to the background for now because of these uh, new, uh, more sort of um, urgent laws, I guess, or draft laws, uh, there is another uh, initiative by MPs as well that's called Protection of Children from Har- Harmful Information. So the difference here is that the mass media law or draft law, it says all media are prohibited from propagating all of this information that I just uh, mentioned, right? Including same-sex marriage or information about same-sex marriages without saying that this is only information that's prohibited for propagation among children, which is the main point of the draft law on uh, protection of children children from harmful information. Which, of course, I'm not saying that the draft law on protection of children from harmful information is, is a better law. It's just, just to draw attention to how this uh, current uh, draft law on mass media is even more uh, malicious in that sense, um, as it not only aims to register and control all of the mass media or anybody who's uh, expressing their opinions on the internet with the usage of internet, right? So it could be bloggers, it could be even people with Instagram accounts um, who have um, a certain, I think the number last time that I saw in the uh, draft law was uh, something like over 5,000 views, Uh, not even 5,000 likes or anything like that. I know I'm getting too technical here, but 5,000 views, can anybody can have 5,000 views. That's very easy. Or the number could be even less. Uh, but basically, anybody who has this kind of uh, numbers uh, of views per month, I think they will be also they will have to be registered as a mass media, basically. Uh, so all of these things are an attempt of the authorities to really control to right to read through registration through through making everybody register, right? Uh, whereas now nowadays, currently, bloggers are able to publish, um, you know, make their opinions uh, heard. Uh, freely without having to be registered and without uh, being subjected to the very restrictive rules uh, that are in the draft law. Um, but in the future, that's what they're going to do. So on, on one hand, they're try- the authorities are trying to control 
the numbers um, and just generally, you know, the 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 existence, the be the very being of um, anybody who is who has any kind of reach into the audience, right? Um, and then on the other hand, they're also basically introducing censorship of information by listing the things that mass media are not allowed uh, to publish or to talk about um, in their publications. Okay, thanks. Uh, Svetlana, um, I'm curious, you know, last week, for instance, when this, when the, uh, they were talking about media in Parliament, uh, Deputy uh, Ibek Osmanov um, got up and, and said that media should stop reporting negative news, uh, that people, people would stop smiling because of the reports in media, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, double-digit inflation, rising cost of food, you know, drought, they've had problems with. I mean, there's there's a number of other problems that people are going to see all the time. I mean, what's the message here? Do you th- is, is the government <laughs> really just saying don't say anything negative so that people aren't on our side? Well, I mean, surely there's fair areas where people are, are want to be informed why these things are happening. Yeah, it's it, it's tr- it's true that they just uh, want to silence um, silence the criticism, and it is also true that uh, no matter how uh, hard you try to silence it, people will still see it. But we also shouldn't uh, underestimate the uh, the influence of uh, such laws on media freedom. For instance, I, I want to come back to this uh, registration, and um, the problem with that is government, the authorities, not only uh, decide on prolongation uh, prolongation of such registration, they decide whether or not register uh, the media outlet, meaning that any media organization is dependent on, on, on the say of, of the government. And the only thing they would be able to do is uh, just uh, as uh, a case in in Russia is to register and to have the registration abroad, which is uh, quite difficult for for many of the um, news outlets uh, here, for instance. So it, it it really is a problem for uh, for the media sphere uh, if if the law passes and uh, there is a big uh, chance it does. Um, so. Um, I don't know how it would affect the general population in terms of uh, access uh, to information and knowledge if uh, all the information is coming out of state-allowed, uh, state-loyal uh, media outlets. It, it, it's already the case uh, because majority of the population is getting their information from uh, state uh, TV channels, uh, newspapers, and, for instance, Twitter channels. Uh, Twitter or Telegram channels. So it's it's quite a big issue as of now. I mean, not some of the sites are not working in in Kyrgyzstan, um, uh, as we know the case from the last year. But not many would follow them anyway. I mean, people still get the information uh, most of uh, most of the information from uh, state loyal um, channels. So it's not. Uh, I think it's not the issue with um, 
local audience, but more of the image of Kyrgyzstan abroad. So uh, what uh, parliamentarians or state representatives or state officials are worried about is Kyrgyzstan's image abroad, that when you um, when media outlets are uh, covering uh, negative um, in, in the view of uh, government stories and situations, it kind of gives a bad look to the country. Because uh, people in Kyrgyzstan, they, they do know about the issues um, already. No, thanks. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of darkly laughing at that because, uh, you know, the, the state wanting to promote an image by not allowing media to report bad things reminds me kind of of Turkmenistan, right? And everyone knows it's it's in bad shape. The fact that the state won't let people report it doesn't change that. And it's already been shown that, that the international community sees it. Okay, we're getting close to the end. So I'm going to uh, give you each a chance for last comments. But I'm also struck that there's kind of an irony with all this, right? Uh, you know, the government, this this one law wants to keep checks on people, that on organizations that are receiving foreign funding. And yet Kyrgyzstan, the state, receives a huge amount of foreign funding, right? It, whether it's aid, donations, uh, whatever, uh, loans, grants, many, many things. Uh, and, and as far as the independent media, um, you know, some of the people who are in power now, they, they did not like previous administrations uh, and which were exposed for corruption and, and uh and it being inept by the media in Kyrgyzstan and helped pave the way for the current government to be in power. It just seems ironic to me that, that the government is now opposing the very things uh, which it has either participated or benefited from. And so I'll, I'll, start, with, uh, I'll start with you, Svetlana, give you the, fir- the floor for the last comment first. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, exactly. Um, Kyrgyzstan, um, the Kyrgyz state is itself uh, is the major... Uh, beneficiary of uh, foreign funding. And yes, you see the irony here. And the thing is, this is quite a problematic development because we uh, saw uh, that during a crisis, for instance, COVID-19 and uh, gender-based violence uh, crisis in Kyrgyzstan, uh, the government relied almost fully on uh, civil society. And uh, most of Kyrgyzstan-based NGOs and civil society organizations are funded from abroad. And exactly this resulted in uh, such a rapid and well-coordinated response uh, to such a huge, unprecedented, actually, crisis, uh, healthcare crisis. And what uh, what we see exactly is that the civil society uh, as a whole receives just a portion of uh, what uh, Kyrgyz state receives as uh, foreign aid uh, and also benefits from uh, what NGO sector receives as foreign funding, because in in many cases, uh, NGO sector, I mean, civil society sector, fills in the gaps that uh, state either fears, uh, fails to see or ignores specifically or uh, has uh, no resources or skills uh, to deal with. So uh, it's uh, pretty a worrying development as I see it. Okay, thank you. See you not. I think what's important here um, to remember is that, and I don't know, I think that's going to be quite dark in a sense, but uh, the Kyrgyz state authorities in general are just, uh, what we're seeing is they're very opportunistic and there is no long-term vision. And by opportunistic, I mean, as in they, it does not, even though they do make these very loud statements, uh, about the nation, about the future, about, um, you know, standing up and, you know, progress and development and all of that, right? 
Um, and the authorities have also really mastered the language of, uh, you could say, uh, decolonialism even, uh, because they will, you know, in some of the meetings they can you know, refer to the fact that, oh, you know, we no longer uh, have to respond or like re- report to the old white uh, Western uh, countries <laughs> or whatever. Um, I have literally have heard that being uh, said uh, by a high level uh, official in Kyrgyzstan. So the, there are all these uh, really high words, but then when it comes to what is actually being done for the people, uh, for the nation, for, for the country itself, you, you don't really see that because, um, yes, the country receives so many grants and credits and all of that stuff, but then um, probably um, a, a really small percentage of that really trickles down to the people, to the actual needs of the people. Um, and uh, you mentioned at some point that, um, you know, quoting probably one of the people, um, the initiators of the draft law and NGOs, uh, that there is about 18,000 NGOs in the country. Well, think about it. It's a, if it's 18,000 NGOs and if it employs at least two people, then how many people are actually employed? Getting work done, um, working, serving their own communities, because, um, of course, the authorities, uh, because they're afraid and they just don't like being criticized, they're only looking, their eyes are only on those um, NGOs that are in, um, in, in Bishkek, for example, right? Or maybe a few in Osh. But then let's not, remember, let's not forget that there are so many others that are working and doing the government's job, uh, basically. And I think Svetlana had mentioned that uh, in the earlier part of the podcast that, yes, um, in a lot of the places, NGOs are kind of substituting the work of the government in these places. So if the government is ready to get back on the track and really do all of that stuff that NGOs are doing uh, throughout the country, then mm, maybe this could be really the beginning of a new golden age for Kyrgyzstan. But for some reason, I doubt that's the future that's aw- that awaits us with this draft law and with the whole slew of others. So I'll stop with this more pessimistic note. Yeah, yeah. And on that dark note, um, I, well, I'll have to wrap up the broadcast because we are out of time. Uh, you know, thank you very much. Clearly, you know, this is a, a topic that's very much in play and we'll see how what happens next. Uh, but I do thank uh, thank you both for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Svetlana, and thank you, Sienat. Uh And a big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjolis podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjolis podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>